This podcast is brought to you by FormKeep. Form endpoints for designers and developers. No iframes, JavaScript embeds, or CSS overrides. Try out our sandbox mode before you buy at formkeep.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Lincoln Murphy. Hey, Lincoln. Hey, what's going on? So I was wondering if you could maybe just start with by telling us how you describe what you do. So I help companies grow by tapping one of the greatest resources they have, and that's their existing customers. Hmm. For the most part, um, it's all about customer success and, and using your existing customer base as a growth lever that we can use to, you know, for expansion revenue, for advocacy, for all that stuff. So my main focus is on, on getting the most out of our existing customer base. Interesting. Do you, do you feel like people overlook that option a lot? It's so weird. I, I sometimes have to, I mean, I, fly, I, I literally traveled around the world to tell people to, number one, care about your customers. <laughs> number two, know what caring about them means, knowing that that means helping them achieve this desired outcome that they have, you know, the whole reason that they decided to do business with you. And number three, uh, once you've done that, you know, looking at them as, as a real growth opportunity. Uh, it's crazy. It's, it is such a, an, an amazing potential opportunity that, yeah, very few companies really take advantage of it at scale or in a repeatable way. Now, that doesn't mean that some companies don't get a lot of derived value from their existing customer base, but that doesn't also mean that, that they're orchestrating it, right? That it's happening mm-hmm. because of their eff- efforts. It's probably happening in spite of their efforts. Hmm. And that's not, that's not so great, right? We want to we like, actually be able to operationalize that process. Hmm. So very few companies really, really understand this. Hmm. I'm not shocked to hear that people don't often focus there because in my mind when i think like we've got to grow that means like we got to go get a whole bunch of new customers yeah it's it's yeah. it seems like natural to kind of focus on like oh like well once someone pays us money then they're a customer and like let's kind of forget about that they're like they're in the they're, they're through the funnel i'm focused on the funnel right 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 the end of the funnel when the customer falls out without really any of our uh, our interaction right it just it just happens magically mm-hmm. that's when you know the hard work is done Right, exactly. No, I mean that's that's just not true, and it's never it's never been true in the technology world. I think where that comes from is this idea of you know I sign a customer, I have an on-premise product, you know, back in the olden days, I sign them for three years. Uh, maybe they pay me maintenance over the you know maybe that's what they have to renew. But literally, I'm giving you the product on some sort of media, mm-hmm. and and I'm going to the next deal. That's right. the way it was. What's so weird about that is, I mean, even then you still had to support the customers. You still probably had to continue to build products and update things. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like you, everything really left, but so much was, uh, was, was in the sales part of the organization. And, and you still hear this all the time. You know, we're a sales driven organization. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but you know, you're really missing out on, um, I don't know if a customer stays with you, uh, three, five, seven, ten years. You know, you're really missing out on on a lot of opportunities to expand um, expand that account and, and grow f- just from just from their use. And I don't mean incrementally. You know, it's so easy when we don't think of it the right way to just say, okay, hey, how could I add you know another seat or two to mm-hmm. this to this deal? But if we really think about what's possible with a customer, I mean, we could be talking about more than just incremental you know increases in in what a customer pays us over time. But that doesn't happen if we're not thinking about really helping that customer 
do what they need to do, get what they need to get out of their relationship with us. It is just a new way of thinking about stuff. And, and it's so, it is something I have to continually take a step back and I'm like, why is this new? <laughs> but I think it's just a holdover from the old days of enterprise software hmm. uh, for, for most of us in the tech world. That's, that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah. For me, I just feel like mentally, like you mentally, you breathe a sigh of relief. Like, ah, we got the customer. Okay, cool. Now, now everything's good. Yeah. And, well, and yeah, you know, that's cool. Celebrate the win. Right. Yeah. Be good with it. But just know that now either the hard work begins. That's one way of looking at it. Or if right. you've, if you built a great product and a great experience, that's not hard work, but now some work begins. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's the key. So how do you typically start an engagement with a client then? Specifically, do they do they tend to come to you and say, "Hey, we have this idea. How do we do it?" Or is it more general? They're like, "We just want to get bigger. How do we do that?" Yeah, well, it kind of runs the gamut. I mean, a few years ago, the the main catalyst was churn. Mm-hmm. Right, so we're 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 losing more customers than we're bringing in, or we're just we're losing too many customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say churn's not an issue anymore, but but definitely companies realized that, that was going to be a problem for them, and and took the steps to mitigate churn. And so now it, it really is comes from a few different angles. It can either be uh, we, we do need to grow from our existing customer base, especially right now out in Silicon Valley. The, the, the concerns are around some sort of economic downturn, slowdown. Mm-hmm. If you have investors, those investors and your board of directors are probably trying to get you to be a little bit smarter about how you grow. And, you know, there's all those it's seven times cheaper to sell to an existing customer or whatever that that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, whether that's accurate or not, the reality is it is a heck of a lot easier to sell to people that you already have a relationship with, right? Mm. Uh, it's not that it's easy sure. to just extract more revenue from your customers, but it's certainly easier to do that when you already have that relationship if you have the right things to sell. So I think that there's just, you know, right now it's, we do need to expand. A lot of people are just seeing that customer success is kind of cool. It's this thing that we need in our in our business. Unfortunately, a lot of a lot of companies that I talk to they still see it as like an add on mm-hmm. to their business, mm-hmm. uh, just another way of doing support, or you know something like that. Right. And, and that's not what it is. At least my my point of view is that customer success is it's a holistic approach to like ensuring that your customers achieve their desired outcome through all of their interactions with your company. Yeah, we're we're seeing a lot of a lot of different angles, a lot of different, and then even then there. Companies are coming to me at various stages of implementing this, so mm. it's we're in a we're in a pretty interesting time right now. Mm-hmm. Right, and and that success is actually the whole point. Like that's that's why you're getting paid. That's why they are your customer. They had some sort of goal or mission or job in mind, and that's the real thing that they want to get done. They're not excited that they just signed up. They're excited for the <laughs> eventuality that you're going to help you. them solve their problem. So I mean, absolutely. I mean, I say it, and, and I say it to be provocative. Look, nobody wants your product. Right, mm-hmm. they want the outcome. Yeah. Now, yeah, I mean, maybe there's there's obviously they chose your product for a reason, but really, I mean, you're right. They didn't just they're not excited because they they signed up for the product. Even if they say that to you, ultimately what they're excited about is the prospect of what your product and their relationship with your company as a whole right. is going to deliver for them. Mm-hmm. And so it is about about making sure that we recognize that uh, the, the catalyst for them becoming excited about your product and, and ultimately signing up. That doesn't change. It doesn't go away once they sign up. In fact, it gets stronger. Hmm. Right? And so if you drop that ball and you don't, you don't recognize that that's going to get stronger once they buy and you don't really like, like lay out this path that's, that's going to help them visualize mm-hmm. in those early days, at the very least visualize how they're going to get there, that can be a rough time for a customer. They're excited. You disappeared. 
Right. Now what's going on? And I see this all the time when I review customer churn reasons and customers will often cite things that happen in the very early stages of their, of their relationship. Might be onboarding, might be things that happen in the sales cycle. Hmm. A lot of times it comes down to mismanagement of expectations. So be careful. So I'd like to get uh, a little more tactical for a second, if we can. Do you have levers that you like to typically go after? Like, what is the the 80-20 in terms of focusing on customer success or, or getting growth out of that? You know, probably first and foremost, I start with really taking a step back and saying, what is, the, so I've said this term a million times, even just, even just a few minutes into this, but mm. what is des- their desired outcome, mm-hmm. right? So what is the required outcome that they have to achieve? Now there's there's something there because it's you know maybe you've heard the job to be done right or whatever right. the thing that that our product has to do, but and I take I think this takes that that concept a little bit further. Then there's the appropriate experience. Like how do we give them that that required outcome? What do they really need? We have to understand that. We have to know what that is because that is success to people. That is success to your customer. This desired outcome. It's both the thing they have to do. It's and it's how they do it. And if we don't know what that is. We honestly can't really come up with a plan to make them successful. And here's, here's why. And I use this analogy all the time. Um, and and we can, we'll get tactical, but I, I think this is really critical to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I fly a lot. And I'm in the air for two or three hours at a time. For me, that has to be useful time. I can't, just, I can't be down or I would never get any work done. So I fly uh, Virgin America or American Airlines or something where I can be guaranteed my seat. You know, I can... I can sit in a good, a good place where I'll have room to work. There's probably Wi-Fi, et cetera. Okay. Mm-hmm. I could also fly Southwest and sometimes I, <laughs> I have to cause there's no other option, but I try not to. And I will get off the, the plane on the other end, having not been able to work cause there was no room or, or if I could, if there was room, there was no Wi-Fi. I will get off the plane at the other end. And I, I know that they achieved my required outcome mm. because I'm alive, right? My required outcome is get me there alive and get me there quick. I'm alive and I'm complaining because it didn't feel successful. Mm-hmm. Now, there may be some ROI that I could attach to the, de- you know, the, the hours of work that I didn't get to do. But the reality is there, there's probably not. It just ultimately doesn't feel right. There, it wasn't appropriate for me. The appropriate experience for me is something that Virgin America or American Airlines delivers. The same thing goes for some of the, your listeners will have products that have a very specific hard ROI, right? Mm-hmm. They, they buy it, they get this return. Most of us don't have that luxury, right? And even then, I don't know if that's so much of a luxury because we might actually put too much of an emphasis on that. There are things that are appropriate to your customer that may be a feeling. And we have to really understand that. We have to know what's going on with our customers so that we can build an engagement model around that. So back to tactics. Mm-hmm. You know, I first want to figure that out. And, and most of the time... In my experience, the, the companies that I've worked with know what that is. It's just that they've never really taken the time to figure that out. Or if they did, it's been a long time. Like they did that in the early days when it was easier and they were building their MVP or something like that, right? Real simple product. Now we've gone a little bit further down the road. We have more features. Now that's what we focus on. We focus on the features and functionality rather than what it is our customers are trying to achieve. So we do that first and we go through that exercise and then we can start to figure out, okay, here's the appropriate experience. And by the way, if you have multiple product lines, we might do this for each product. If you have um, multiple customer segments, 
like you know the really really distinct customer segments that would themselves have a different desired outcome we're going to do it for each customer segment so some of this isn't easy and a lot of times i bring more work <laughs> to to my clients sure. and you know and i'm i'm not i'm not telling your listeners <laughs> that they're going to have less work here uh but it's worth it because the desired outcome for a particular customer segment will be different than a different customer segment and certainly will be different for a different customer segment with a different product. Mm-hmm. So there's no one size fits all solution for your, your customers. Mm. Once we have that, now we can understand what has to go into giving them that appropriate experience. Some of that's going to be technology. Some of that's going to be human interaction. Some of that's going to be things that are in the product. Some of that's going to be things that are outside the product, training, um, other, other, you know, other content, bringing in experts to fill what we would call a success gap. Anyway, I don't want to get too far down the road there, but there's lots of different things that, that we can do tactically, but they all are predicated on understanding what this desired outcome is of your customer. Hmm. You wrote a little bit about an ideal customer framework. Mm-hmm. And I really like this. So on a recent episode, we talked about uh, the value of choosing a niche, which is yeah. really about choosing a customer, really. <laughs> uh, and the thing I really liked is that, so you brought up a concern that I had, uh, and you addressed it nicely, which is when you pick a niche, you are necessarily saying no to some people. Yes. And that causes a little bit of anxiety because you're like, well, clearly we want everyone that can pay us money to pay us money. But you, uh, the way you framed it was to choose an ideal customer for a time frame. Yes. Which I really thought made a lot of sense. Like this is our ideal customer for the next three to six months. And we're going to try this out and see if it, it works to focus on these people. And it's not like we're saying no forever to everyone else, but this right. is, this is a, a time batched, uh, time boxed kind of thing. Totally. And I think, so I, I, I use the term FOMO, the fear of missing out, mm-hmm. right? Because I think whenever you talk about focusing on just one type of customer, it's, it kind of freaks people out. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> you mean I just shrunk my, my total addressable market and all this other stuff? And right. It's like, no, it's exactly what you said. It's, it's putting some bookends on it time-wise and saying, we're just going to test this out. It's one of the only ways that I know of really to effectively test a customer type rather than just testing marketing tactics. Right? Mm-hmm. So here we're saying, I think this is going to be the customer that's ideal. Um, and it's also saying not just this is the customer that's going to be ideal uh, as a customer for us from the, the value they'll get. But it's also saying, look, right now, this is the type of customer that we're going to be able to, to deliver value to. An example uh, that came up recently was the CEO of a, of a very early stage startup, very early stage. They had a product that was made for, uh, she said, for marketing agencies. And we're kind of going over what, what was going on. And she said, uh, but we're missing a feature that allows marketing agencies to kind of get a roll-up view of all of their customers mm-hmm. or all of their clients. And, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I said, well, you know, is that, is that a critical piece? And she said, oh, definitely. You know, so I kind of dug into that. Like, how critical? Like, what do you mean by that? And she said, oh, basically, I mean, what, it, what we got to was basically this was not really usable by agencies in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And they could, they could, they could probably make it work, but it was, it was not going to work for some and be a non-starter for others. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, look, I mean, the reality is right now, marketing agencies are not your ideal customer if you're missing this core piece of functionality for them. Now, how long until you're, until you're ready for it? She said, you'd probably take three months, probably six months realistically. I said, okay. So in six months, they're your ideal customer. In three months, you start building a pre-launch list for that that type of customer, mm-hmm. right? Building interest so that when you are done, you can flip the switch and you will have a lot of people sign up, you know, ideally, right? Mm-hmm. Until then, 
for the next three months who's your ideal customer given the ability that you know you have right now to serve and she said mm. well internal marketing departments okay cool so there you go so it's it's also taking into consideration what your realistic abilities to help your customers are so in that ideal customer profile framework one of the inputs is success potential right we need to know does this customer have success potential if they don't then they are not our ideal customer mm-hmm. and that includes do we have the functionality that they need do we have the ability to support them in the way that they need to be supported it's a pretty big deal hmm Awesome. So can I uh, bring it uh, to a selfish arena now for a minute <laughs> and ask you some uh, form keep specific questions? Totally. Uh, so how much background do you need before I, I start hitting you with questions? Like what do you, what kind of stuff do you want to dig into or like, I'll just kind of tell, tell us about what the, what the product is and what it does and who the customer is. Okay. So form keep is a product that uh, lets you put a form on a static site. So customers are designers and developers and uh, so our largest customers tend to be agencies that are building lots of websites for clients. Okay. And they every website basically needs at least one contact form for sales leads and things like that. Sure. And they don't want to write a backend for it. They don't want to like have a server that they have to run that takes that data. So they send it to us and then we use integrations and send it to maybe to their email, maybe to Salesforce, maybe to a Google Sheet. Uh, we can basically forward that data on to a whole bunch of places. We also have some individual developers and designers using us for things like Smaller product, like freelancers might use this for single clients and, and things like that. And then a little bit of use on personal websites. So if I, if I Ben, am a freelancer and I want to have a, a sales form on my site, I might use this. But that's, that's slightly less common. Gotcha. Okay. So we are in the midst of a couple things. Uh, one is changing our pricing. So pricing today is $9 per form per month. So I don't love this pricing because it basically penalizes our largest and potentially best customers in my mind. There's like there's no discount for having more forms. Mm-hmm. And so ideally, I would love tons of customers that have lots and lots of forms because they would get lots and lots of value and you know hopefully stick around and all that. Uh, and so charging per form, it doesn't really work for them. Uh, and so I'm moving to a tiered pricing model. So a certain number of forms for a certain number of dollars. Okay. So this has brought up a couple questions uh, related to that. First is, what are your thoughts on having a very cheap or even possibly free low-level plan to get people in the door. So I think there's an argument to be made, which is maybe a developer will use this on a personal project at you know a very cheap price and then recommend it for you know his at work and potentially spend a lot more money. But the coming with the downside of potentially you know increased support burden, some people will always choose the cheapest plan. Uh, things like that. What are your, what are your thoughts around? Like I, I I see us wanting to to serve businesses. And I'm sort of toying with like, do I want to have a price point where it, we could also potentially be useful to consumers as well who then might use us in a business sense? Right, right. So one thing that I do is I, I would have you go through this process of identifying a bad fit customer. Mm. So bad fit customer is, well, the opposite of a good fit. Mm-hmm. But it takes into consideration many of the same inputs that we would do when we're, when we're figuring out an ideal customer. And some of that is success potential and some of that is our ability to support. So mm-hmm. You know, again, going back to fear of missing out, you know, are we saying we want to make sure that we have a free plan for that independent developer who may, you know, move this into, you know, might be a foot in the door for a larger customer? You know, are we saying that because we believe that? Or are we saying that because we don't want to close that off and, and maybe miss out, even though our real audience really is the B2B space? So, you know, I would go through that and just say, what are the characteristics of a customer that we really can't support right now? Can't, and, and if, we, if we say, you know what, we, we can, as long as the support burden falls into this level 
you know, maybe we can spin up more community support. Maybe we can have more self-service training, um, whatever that looks like and really reduce the support burden. Cool. So that's one thing just kind of Mm -hmm. lay that out there. The other thing is, uh, certainly if you go with, with the free model, um, but even the low price model in this instance, I would want to make sure that there was a very clear way to orchestrate that growth that we're looking at. You know, how, so if we're going to say that this thing we're doing is a foot in the door for a larger customer, mm-hmm. how do we get there? Yeah. What does that look like? And if we don't have a clear picture of that, doesn't mean one doesn't exist. It just means it's not something we can really orchestrate. And so should we truly bank on that? Right. Right. So I'd go back to the drawing board on that one. Right. Um, other than that, the only other thing around tiered pricing that I would say is just make sure that you kind of align your pricing with, if you can, if it's possible, and a lot of times it is, with the complexities of the customer. What I mean by that is ideally somebody that has 10 forms would come in and say, I'm going to choose the plan where I get 10 forms. Mm-hmm. Easy. Done. But if I only have three forms, I'm probably going to choose the the, the five or less plan or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But if you've done your job right and you've made that that plan that I would normally go to only if I had 10 forms, if you've done enough to add value to that plan, maybe giving me additional visibility, like we talked about with that other company that I worked with, you know, around roll up, you know, seeing what's going on with all the forms, mm-hmm. maybe additional inter- integrations, something of more value mm-hmm. than if I only need two or three forms, I might still choose the 10 form plan mm-hmm. because there's additional value. So it's, it's not just about number of forms. There may be another, another lever there that you could pull that I would look at. Maybe not, but... To- to- totally. And, and I think integrations actually is potentially that for us. It seems like something that's valued by our biggest customers. And so to me, it's something that would make sense in the bigger plans. Totally. I do have a little bit of that. I guess it's not FOMO here, but just a little a bit of anxiety around having a plan that's not great, I guess. Because if I pull good features out of lower plans, then they get worse, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I want you to upgrade, but I also don't really want you to sign up for the plan if it's not as good anymore. Right, right. And, and I want to be really clear on that. And I think this is something that a lot of companies have fallen into, a trap that they've fallen into over the years. Um, you know, I have to have three plans because we're going to do Goldilocks pricing. And you mm-hmm. know, one's too small, one's too big, and one's just right. Look, these gimmicks, I, I don't think there's a place for them anymore. I think we need to just be simple. I think we need to have a very clear use case around every pricing plan, have a good story, mm-hmm. know who for each pricing plan, who that ideal customer really is. And again, if you can't come up with that, if you don't have a good story for it, it's just like story-based development. It's, you know, all these things, the same things that we apply to the development of the product, we should be applying to the development of other aspects of the business. Mm. You know, and if we can't come up with that, don't just copy some other, and I'm not saying you guys are, but I see this mm-hmm. all the time. Like, Let's let's copy these guys because they have a really pretty pricing page. Right. Um, no, that's you need to have a story for how it's going to apply to your customers. You don't know if it's going to work. Nobody does. Mm-hmm. But at least if we have a story, a hypothesis around it, we're going to be starting from a much better place. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And if you can't come up with a persona for a plan, then just kill that plan. Exactly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on looking? So you, you, we don't want to copy other people just because, hey, they chose this pricing, therefore we should too. But should I be paying much attention to competitor pricing? What you should be paying attention to most of all is what's going on in your customer's world. It's probably more important. I mean, if you, get, if you have limited time and resources and need to pay attention to something, hmm. it's probably more valuable to pay attention to what other products that they're using. 
that are similar, if not similar in what you do, but similar in the way that they would buy? What are other mm -hmm. self-service products that they buy? What products are they going to have to integrate with with your product? Because yeah. right? you know there there may be some some comparisons going on in their world. It's not always you know we we know more about our our competition than than our customers generally. So right. it's not so much that you know, when they're looking at, at your product, they're, they're probably not looking at the other 25 competitors that you know about, you know, down to the one that, that just popped up yesterday, you know, in, from Romania or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's probably better to look at what else is going on in their world. You should probably then be aware of what's going on with your competitors, but I will tell you 150% don't assume that they're getting it right. Right. I mean, now if you come up with a um, pricing plan that is night and day compared to what everybody else is doing in the market, mm -hmm. you might want to sanity check that against your assumptions and just say, you know, am I? Do I feel like I'm looking at this correctly? Mm -hmm. But don't let the fact that you're doing something completely different than everybody else stop you from doing that. If you have a good story behind it, there's a really good chance one company started it, everybody else copied it, and they're all happy to just be you know, a part of the market. I've run into way too many companies that kind of take that tax. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a good story, doesn't mean, you know, and it's different than everybody else, doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. Doesn't mean that it's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that, that advice a lot of paying attention to the context that you're in. And the context for your customer is not you versus every competitor. It's you versus the other things that they're doing at work, basically, in their life. Exactly. I like that a lot. I think that's really useful. And it makes sense too, because when I talk to people that are individuals, the context is like they're used to paying $10 a month for th most of the things that they subscribe to on a monthly basis. But when I talk to business owners, they're used to paying hundreds of dollars per month, the things that they subscribe to. Mm -hmm. And it's just very, those numbers, you know, make sense to them. Well, and, and that's why, I mean, you, you'll hear when, when people say, you know, if you're going to sell to an enterprise and you come in at less than five figures, uh, they'll just laugh at you. Right. It's not because of what your product is, it's because of their context. Mm -hmm. And also they know that they're very support heavy. <laughs> they're going to need, they're going to need a lot of support. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay a lot to, to actually do business with them. But mm -hmm. that's a really, yeah, that's a good point. Cool. Glad, glad this came out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one other thing that's coming out of this pricing is uh, what to do with existing people that are on the old pricing plans. Do you have uh, general thoughts on grandfathering policies? Yeah, I mean, generally, what what I would want to do is go ahead and, and and grandfather the customers, assuming we're we're changing things in a way that would cause them uh, to be negatively impacted. Okay, mm -hmm. and 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 there's no really clear way. I mean, if there's a clear path, then you just go ahead and take them and put them on a new plan, but you know, maybe at the same price. Mm -hmm. At least at least they're on the same configuration mm -hmm. plan. Then then you could do that, and then as long as it's not going to negatively impact them. Uh, now or in the, we'll say in the foreseeable future, you know, let's say the next six months where, where people get kind of angry is where, you know, right now it might be fine, but you know, like next month their, their price goes up three times. Like that's not cool. Hmm. But if it's six months out, most of the time people can't really, they're not thinking six months down the road. Um, hmm. now obviously a three X increase, that's not, don't do that. But if we can get them on a plan that, that kind of keeps them at the same place, Cool, but most of the time that's not exactly how it works. So we just need to grandfather them. Now that said, there's a couple of things you have to do if you're going to be making changes that have the perception of impacting them negatively, mm -hmm. even if it's not going to. Then you should communicate to them before you communicate publicly and let them know that this is happening and that they will not be impacted. In fact, if you send out an email at the very top in probably not red because that might be frightening, but you know <laughs> in a nice bold font 
mm-hmm. say we're going to, you know, we're changing prices, but it doesn't affect you or, you know, just let them know, like no right. action is required. It's all good. You're, you're fine. Mm-hmm. But let them know ahead of time because if they find out publicly, that's when you, we've had, we've had pricing fiascos in the past because prices were changed. And, and even if the customers weren't going to be impacted, they found out and they, they felt like they were kind of betrayed They're You know, they're sort of, whether it should be this way or not, doesn't matter. You know, we, customers feel like they have some sort of special relationship with you. Maybe they should he- hear it from you first. So let them know first mm-hmm. this is going to happen. Let them know they're being locked in uh, to this price and they'll stay there forever if you want to do it that way. But if they ever cancel, they come back, they'll have to join at market rates. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. And then what you want to do is have a plan to get those people that are grandfathered in off of the grandfathered plan as quickly as possible. And how we do that is when you're doing that, go ahead and make them an offer. Say, you know, we'll get, we grandfather you in here, or we could give you this bigger plan for the same price. It's it's a great deal, and we'll give that to you for six months or a year at that price. And it, but you have to take it in the next X number of days, or before we go public with this or whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll get a lot of people making that switch, and then just continue to do that kind of thing. Continue to market to them. Eventually, we don't want a lot of grandfathered customers mm-hmm. just becomes hard to manage. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of the reality of doing this kind of thing. Prices change and we shouldn't be afraid of that. Um, I think that's something that, that over the years I've definitely learned is, you know, there, there's not a set it and forget it thing in, in pretty much any aspect of business, including pricing, but we do have to be cognizant of how we go about this so we don't alienate people. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's great stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great place to actually wrap it up though. Okay. Do you have anything you want to uh, plug? How can people hear more about you or tune into your writing or something like that? Sure. Um, follow me on Twitter at Lincoln Murphy, and I write a ton about customer success and pricing at 16ventures.com. Awesome. Thanks very much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 185. Thanks for listening. Thank you.